0: I want to preach to you on this thought this morning, the mess, the Messiah, and me. The mess, the Messiah, and me. Out of Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 15. Would you please stand one last time in honor of the reading of the Word of God? And we'll begin in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? how he entered the house of God and ate the show bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But, If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Now, when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him? Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the the Pharisees went out and plotted against Him how they might destroy Him. But when Jesus knew it, He withdrew from there. And great multitudes followed Him, and He healed them all. Let us pray. Lord, we love You this morning. And we are just blessed to be able to come and worship You. Father, I pray now that You would do something magnificent here this morning. God, that You, the miracle-working God, would use Your miracle-working power to work miracles in our lives. We confess that we need You. God, I confess these people do not need Me. They did not come here this morning. They do not come to worship. They do not show up because they need man, Me, or any other man. Father, we come because we need You. And so, Lord, we ask this morning that You would do that. Give us Yourself. We pray, God, that You would give us the courage this morning to hear Your Word and to obey it. To be willing to let Your Word penetrate our hearts and deal with us. We confess, Lord, we need Your help. Open our eyes. Open our ears. Open our hearts, God, to see, understand, and apply Your Word this morning. We ask, God, that You would save any and every person here this morning who has not truly been born again. We pray, God, that You would heal this morning wounds that have not been healed for many, many, many years. God, I pray that You'd be lifted up and exalted. And I simply ask You to anoint me and help me to lift You up and exalt You this morning. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to preach this morning on the simple thought, the mess, the Messiah, and me. The mess. Let's start with the mess. There's really two things that make up the mess in our text this morning. One of them is the sickness. One of them is the withered hand. One of them is the fact that there was the problem with this man who needed heal. The other is the false and empty religion that man has created as a response to the mess. Both of them are a mess. And let's start with the man this morning. The Bible just tells us he has a withered hand. It doesn't tell us what it looked like. It doesn't tell us if any of his fingers worked, if none of them worked. It doesn't tell us if all of his fingers were intact. It just tells us he had a withered hand. And here's what we know as the man sat there. We can draw logically and conclude as the man sat there that number one, there was nothing man had ever been able to do to fix his hand. And number two, there was nothing that the religion was able to do to fix his hand. It is really a picture of the fall of mankind and sin in general. The real problem with the world today is sin. That is the problem. If you were to define all of this world's problems, you could do it in one word that's made up of three letters. Sin. Sickness is a result of sin. This morning, if, if your marriage is, is, is constantly like this, it's simply sin. If you're dealing with uh, inner pain and turmoil, it is a result of sin. Now, let me clarify that. Sometimes it's your sin. Sometimes your sin brings about destruction in your life, but it's not always your sin. Sometimes it's somebody else's sin and something somebody else did that was wrong that they did to you that's affecting your life today. And sometimes it's just a result of sin in general. We live in a fallen world where sickness reigns where death comes to every one of us, where bad things happen to good people and good things at times happen to bad people, we live in a world that is fallen. But at the root of our problem, the simple uh, root of it is sin. And what we know about sin is that man cannot fix it. Man cannot fix it. Man has no real solution to the sin problem this man's hand was withered up. Beyond the repair of man, beyond the repair of religion. This is one of the reasons that the Pharisees hated Jesus. Because Jesus exposed what was beyond their ability to control. Can can we be honest this morning? We like to be in control. We like to say we live by faith. We like to say we have faith in God. We like the idea of being close to God. But after it's all said and done, we still want a level of control. We still want to be able to say, I can help this. I want you to know something this morning. More than likely, for most of the problems that you are facing this morning as individuals, I cannot help. I wish I could. I wish I could step in and fix it whatever pain you're facing, whatever thing in your life that you've dealt with that you've never been able to find relief and healing of, whatever it may be, I wish I could help but I can't. But the truth is, we want to think we can. We want to feel like if I try harder, if I do more, if I if I maybe go to more church, or if I just if I just keep doing this and keep believing this and keep doing this. And and the reality is, brothers and sisters, people here this morning We don't have control. And when Jesus stepped on the scene, it really highlighted that the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that day did not have near as much control as they paraded themselves as having. And it drove them nuts about Jesus because in some ways it undermined their authority. And in the middle of the story, we have a man who needs healing, who needs hope, and yet man has not been able to provide it for him and neither his religion. So we see the mess of sickness. We see the mess of pain and suffering in our world. We have to understand, the church has to understand the problem with this world is sin. That's the problem. It's not that we have a president you don't like. It's not that the government is at gridlock. It's not that we have a 10% approval rating of Congress. It's not that the scientists haven't figured out a cure for this disease or that disease. The problem with the world is sin. And the church must not get trapped into thinking the answer to this world's problems is political, that it's about voting the right people into this place or that place, there is only one answer, and that is taking Jesus to a lost and dying world. He is the only hope, and He is God's only answer to the real problem of this world, which is sin. We see the mess also of religion. Self-righteous religion. Religion, when I say religion, I mean a motions-based theology where if we do enough, we are then right with God. If I go to enough church, if I know enough Scriptures, if I serve enough people, if I look the right way, if I hang out and rub shoulders with the right people, if I dress the right way, talk the right way, give this thing, do that thing, serve this ministry, serve in that ministry, you make all the list that somehow that brings us into a a state of of favorableness with God. You know the problem with all of that stuff? Everything that I said, those things are not bad things. But guess what? They don't address the sin problem. The problem is not that we need more works-based stuff. It's that we are sinners. And that we need a Savior. Those things are really man's attempt to cover up the heart problem. Because sin starts at the heart. Now I'm here to, I'm here to tell you this morning. Every one of us. Us. We. That's you and that's me. Every one of us. If you're here this morning and you have ears to hear, I'm talking to you. Every one of us has a heart problem. You have a heart problem. I have a heart problem. We were born with it. Now, my heart problem might look a little bit different from yours, and yours a little bit different from the person to the left or to the right, but at the root of it, we all have a heart problem. We're selfish. We are untrusting to God. We are prideful. We are... There are so many things that we are, and they're deep inside, and sometimes they manifest themselves in our lives in different ways. Some people get angry. Some people revert and hide. Some people live their lives in shame. We find ways to try to deal with it, and there's a conscious realization in this world, something is wrong. The man has a withered hand. The world is in chaos. Something is wrong. And man's solution to that is religion. I know there's something wrong. I feel something wrong in me. So what I'm going to do... I'm going to go to more church. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to do this. I'm going to rub shoulders with the right people. I'm going to do all these things. But we find that all the religion in the world done to the absolute T. Every I dotted, every T crossed still isn't enough to produce heart change. Because we have people in our text, Pharisees, who without any question maintained the proper religious functions and duties as well as anybody ever has in the history of the earth. And yet we see them here at odds with Jesus. We see them here plotting how to accuse Him. We see them here looking at Jesus and constantly finding something wrong with Him. And I'm here to tell you this morning, self-righteous religion will always find fault in others. When people come to me and they're constantly telling me what's wrong with this person or that person or this ministry or that ministry, I know that at the heart of it, whether they know it or not, there is a self-righteous root where they think they're up here and everybody else is down here. That's what self-righteousness produces. It produces an attitude that, number one, I'm righteous because of what I do. That what I do is holy. That what I do is great. That what I do is honorable. But you over here, you don't do what I do. And so you are down here, and I'm up here. And when somebody's self-righteousness is attacked, when Jesus steps on the scene and He exposes their powerlessness, there's only two responses. Number one is to repent. Number one is to be broken that I thought somehow, some way, all of my works could change my heart. I need a God to change my heart. I need a Savior to wash this heart that is black and cold and hard. And I need a Savior to change it and give me life and wash away my sins. If you don't have that attitude, the other response is, is to try to destroy whoever encroaches upon your self-righteousness. And you start putting people down, you start finding fault in everybody else. You've always got one reason. This isn't good enough. That's not good enough. They need to change. They need no grace. No grace whatsoever. It's not God. It's self-righteousness. And these Pharisees looked at Jesus, they accused him, and they kept looking for ways to accuse him. That is what self-righteousness will do. We see the mess. The mess of sin, the mess of sickness, the mess of religion. And we see that Jesus, he basically asked these people the question Would you not go care for a sheep if the sheep fell into a pit? And you're trying to make something out of me healing this guy on the Sabbath? And here's what Jesus said, if you want to hit in a nutshell. Where is your love? Where is your love? Where is your love for people? Where is your love for God? Self-righteous religion, man's religion, it does not really care about people at the end of the day. It likes to give the appearance of caring like people because that's what Honorable people do. But those who are self righteous, the Pharisees of our text, they would show love and compassion to people who fit their mold of what they're supposed to be. But anybody outside of the circle, it doesn't matter if they're right, it doesn't matter if they're on the right track, it doesn't matter if they're helping people, it doesn't matter if he's healing the sick doesn't matter what He's doing. We don't care. He does not fit our mold of religion. And since He is not like us, we reject Him. We've got to be so ever careful as Christians not to become like that towards other Christians. Because they might believe a little bit different this way or they might believe a little bit different this way. How important it is that the church the Christian church, those who have been born again, the redeemed of God, that we have unity, that we have a common goal, that we understand we should be here to care for people. The church must love souls. And any time that something becomes more significant than that, we are in trouble. The church must be about reaching people with the love of God. We must love people because God loves people. And I'm telling you, it is is—it is in our nature to become click-like and, and to have our own style of religion and, and the way that we worship or how many songs we sing or how the way the preacher preaches or what we believe on this particular issue or what we believe on this particular issue that we can become so religious-minded that we forget that this is about souls and that had God not loved our soul and had God not loved us in our mess and had God not come to us in our mess... We wouldn't even be here. And so we've got to keep a proper focus. The church is meant to love hurting people. I want you to know this morning, we don't have it all right here. We don't. But we do love You. And we love people. And we pray that God helps us to love people better. Helps us to love with a purer love helps us to care with a deeper care. And I'm convinced that if we can love people with a God-type love, if we can reach people with a God-type reach, all the secondary stuff God will take care of in God's time. We've got to love people. So we see the mess. And now we see the Messiah. Messiah. You know, God has an answer to our mess. There is an answer. There is an answer to the sin problem in this world. God didn't leave us hopeless. God did not leave us to die in our mess. God did not leave us without a way out of the mess. God has provided an answer and we see right here in the text, Jesus. And He's right there in the middle of the mess. Thank God He's willing to come to the middle of our mess. Amen? Amen. I'm the type of person that kind of likes to withdraw from a mess. Just I don't want to get in the middle of it. It's a mess. Jesus runs to it. You need to know something this morning. If you got, if you got a mess in your life, if there's something you need healing from, if there's something you need God to do, he, he will run to your mess. He will meet you there. He will not leave you hopeless. He will not leave you without a way out. God sent Jesus, the Messiah, the answer to the problems of this world. Jesus answers them first and foremost with a reference to the Word of God. He's referencing Proverbs chapter 12, which tells us a righteous man cares for the needs of his animal. Jesus again reminds them of the need to love one another and simply says, We are more important than animals. You know, sin is about a whole lot more than what not to do. James chapter 4 and verse 17 tells us, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Did you? It's certainly sin to do bad things that you shouldn't do. It's sin to disobey God. But did you know it is a sin to know that something is good to do to help somebody in need, to be able to do something good, to be able to help a person and then choose not to. That is sin. That tells us this as Christians. We have a responsibility not just to know the things of what not to do. We have a responsibility to be at work. Being a Christian is not about learning the list of things not to do, the places not to go, all that stuff and just keeping that checklist. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. Excellent. Well, I got 9 out of 10. I think I'm in God's favor this week. Number 1, if you think that's what Christianity's all about, it is a terrible way to try to live. Number 1. And number 2, that is so shallow. God sent the Messiah as an answer to the mess of this world. And you and I have a responsibility of taking Him to this world. And taking Him to this world involves a whole lot more than just knowing what not to do. We've got to have... Eyes that are open to what's going on around us and, and, and ways that we can take the love of God to people. And we've got to be looking for opportunities to share Jesus with the lost and dying world in the way that we live, in the way that we walk, and in the way that we talk. Why are there certain things we don't do? First of all, because they cause, they, they cause harm to us. Because they, they separate us from God. Because they keep, they, they keep us from from being able to be all that God wants us to be. Because God loves us is why He says, Thou shalt not. But ultimately, it should lead to the opportunity to be witnesses. It's very difficult to share Christ with somebody when you personally are not following the Christ that you're telling them they ought to follow. And so it's important that we live lives of integrity. It's important that we live lives that are honorable to God. But we have a responsibility to do good. And Jesus asks them. He basically says, Is it wrong to do good on this day? Mark chapter 3 and verse 4 tells us something else about when Jesus asked them this basic question. They were speechless. They answered Him not a word. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. I want you to pay close attention to me. They were speechless. They weren't speechless because they didn't know. They were speechless because they knew He was right. But they weren't going to further this conversation if it wasn't in their favor. This is the way... That we, remember, not you, this is a way that we as people respond to sin when we're challenged with it. Hmm. You don't know my life. You don't know me. You don't know my circumstances. And rather than acknowledge God, you are right, we are wrong. When we decide that we're going to dig our heels in and I'm going to do this thing no matter what, I've already made up my mind, this is how I'm going to live, this is how I'm going to be, this is how I'm going to do things. What happens when we are confronted with the Word of God, we do the same thing the Pharisees did, and we just well, I won't respond to that. And here's the danger of that. First of all, we need to understand something. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us That the Father disciplines the Son whom He loves. So, the first thing we need to understand is that when God confronts us with our sins, it's not to try to make us feel small and shamed and, and forced into doing something about it. It's because He loves us and cares for us and wants to direct our lives in the course He has mapped out for us. That's number one. So, let's have a good attitude when God through His Word confronts us right where we're living. That's number one. Number two, and listen ever so carefully, the more often you say nothing to God and walk out the same way, the harder and harder the heart becomes. It is a dangerous thing For God to confront you and deal with your heart about something in your life that needs changed. And for you, as the Pharisees, to say nothing, to do nothing, and to walk out, the heart becomes harder and harder and harder. Jesus reminds them they need to do good, they say nothing. Again he asked, Is it lawful to do well on the Sabbath? Jesus tells the man to stretch forth his hand. I think it's worth noting he does it without asking anybody's permission. They could not control him, and so they hated him. The man obeys the Lord, and the Bible tells us he stretched out his forth his hand, and it was healed. God is still asking for people to stretch forth their hand today. I want to talk to you about healing for a little bit this morning. Jesus told the man to stretch forth his hand. And I want you to get the picture in your mind because I believe everything is significant that we learn about in the Word of God. First of all, they're in a meeting similar to this. Okay, This is not Jesus and the man In closed doors, just the two of them in the pastoral office. This is public. We're in front of everybody. Jesus says, stretch out your hand. And the man stretches out his hand and it's withered. I want you to understand something about healing. Until you're willing to stretch out what is withered and what needs healed, It will never be healed. Most of us live our Christian life like this. Here's the withered hand, and when it's time for church, it goes right in there. Everything looks well. Hair's done, face is shaped, clothes are on got one hand up when it's time to praise. But deep inside, you know I've got this withered hand. And you hide it. And you desperately want to be healed. And you desperately want God to touch that area of your life that man has not been able to help. Religion, all of the religious stuff that we do has not been able to help but we are so embarrassed of the part of us that's messed up and that needs help that we refuse to acknowledge it. We want to give the appearance that everything is good and then try to deal with our withered hand behind closed doors. I want you to understand something about our text. Until you're willing to stretch out what needs healed, it will never be healed. As I was thinking about this and meditating on this, I am so convinced one of the reasons we see so few, um, and I want to use the word emotional, emotional healing and breakthrough in the church is because we are the best hiders in the world. We hide our pain. We're embarrassed to say that we're struggling. We're embarrassed to say I've had an alcohol problem for years and years and years and nobody knows about it. We're embarrassed to say I've got a pornography addiction. We're embarrassed to say I've got a gossip problem. We're embarrassed to say I'm jealous of of, of everybody that comes around me. We're embarrassed to say what is withered about us. And so rather than stretch the thing forth and say, God, I need healing from this, we hide it. And I want you to know something. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is a healing God. He is a loving God. He is a God that's willing to come to our mess and help us out of it. But the same principles that happened when He was physically here on earth are the same principles we have to live by today. One of the healthiest things I believe, and I'm not saying that you need to get up and air out all your dirty laundry in front of the whole church. We don't need to know all the details of how the hand became withered. We don't need to know all of the everybody doesn't need to know all the details of everything in your life that led you to the place of emotional sickness that you live in today. But what you do need to do is quit pretending it doesn't exist. You've got to be willing to acknowledge it. And I and and then, and here's what I want to say. I think it needs to be publicly. Not necessarily to the whole church, there need to be people in your life, though, that you can be real with, and, that, and, and they need to be Christians that believe in prayer, Christians that understand confidentiality, Christians that, that you can trust, that are going to pray, they're going to make this a matter of prayer, Christians that can hold you accountable, Christians that will touch base with you about whatever the issue is. We There is something healthy about just getting it out, I need healed. I need healed. That's what the real deal is. I need healed. And I want you to help me. I want you to pray for me. There's something healthy. And and once we're willing to stretch out that hand in front of everybody and and in, in essence to some degree go public with it, it becomes a whole lot easier to be willing to come to God during our public meetings and ask God for healing. God, here it is. I am laid bare before you. I don't know why I've tried to hide this thing from everybody else. I don't know why I always try to act like I've got it all together. Here's what we are apt to do as people. We're apt to put the hand in the pocket and then realize, hey, i got two good legs at work. I've got another arm that works fine. My hearing's fine. My sight is fine. I'm better off than a lot of other people. What am I complaining about? I don't need healed. I just need to be satisfied with this pain I live with all my life that nobody knows about that leads me to stay awake at night sometimes crying myself to sleep. Everybody does it. Maybe they do. And I agree that we need to be thankful for what we have that does work. I agree. But when Jesus died on the cross and said, It is finished. It was for a whole lot more than to force me and you to just stay in our pain all of our lives until we make it to heaven. And we are so apt to look at everything that's right and just be satisfied dealing with our secret pain. And we try so hard to, when it comes time, when Jesus says, stretch forth your hand, we stretch out the good one. That's what's on display for everybody to see. Everything that works right, that's what's on display for everybody to see. Jesus says, hold on a second, friend. I know about that wither hand. You might have hid it from everybody else, but I know about it. Let's reach for healing. Let's, let's deal with that and let's be willing to acknowledge that thing and bring it forth. And I just want to encourage you this morning. Don't be ashamed that there is something in your life that you need healing of. And if you really want healing, quit hiding it. Quit showing up and pretending it's all together and having that hand in the pocket for nobody to know. It's okay to be broken. It is okay. We live in a fallen world, my brothers and sisters. And as I already said earlier, to some degree, all of us have a heart problem. It is okay. You do not have to pretend you have it all together if you don't. And if you really want healing, it won't come through pretending. It'll come through getting real with God, stretching out what needs healed, and saying, God, have your way with me. So the man stretches it out and he is healed. He's healed without Jesus speaking a word or touching the man. I think that's an inter- this is an interesting healing here. Jesus doesn't reach out and touch him. He doesn't speak to this man specifically. He just tells him to stretch forth his hand. The Bible tells us the man stretched forth his hand and that it was made as whole as the other one. The power that was displayed in that moment, and I think it's significant. Back to our narrative. I'm almost done this morning. So we've got the Pharisees, right? They're trying to find a way to accuse Jesus. We have the mess of sickness. We have the mess of religion. And then we have the Messiah as an answer to all of it. Jesus didn't touch the man. I want you to get the picture in your head with me. He didn't touch him. He just said this. Stretch forth your hand. The man stretched forth his hand and it was made whole in front of everybody to see. Who healed him? I mean, Jesus didn't touch him. He didn't put it inside of his magic bag, you know, and then pull it out and it was fine. It's obvious God did. And it was super obvious for those that were there. And that's the important fact. Jesus was showing them, it's not really me you're against. It's against the God you say you serve. I didn't even touch him this time. I didn't even speak to him this time. I just told him to stretch forth his hand. The man did it in faith, and it was made whole here in this synagogue in front of all you to see. And I want you to see, as I already told you once, the hardness of the heart. When we start saying no to God, it is unbelievable how hard the heart can come. They did not repent. The Bible doesn't record that there was a one of them that said, Whoa, we are wrong. We are wrong. Only God could do that. He didn't even touch the man. He didn't even speak to the man. That's not what happened. Their hearts became harder. and tells us they immediately began to plot how to kill Him. How to destroy Him. It seems absurd. But that is the difficulty of religion. And when we've made up our mind, it doesn't matter what we see. It doesn't matter what God does. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm going to do it my way. This is how I'm going to live. This is what I'm going to believe. How hard the heart can become. I think it's interesting, heartbreaking, humorous, all in one. They actually believed they were defending God. They really believe that. How they believe that, I don't know, but they really believe that. I've come across them in my day. People who will find a way to nitpick every single thing they've ever seen, any ministry they've ever been to, any church they've ever been to, any pastor they've ever read, any book they've ever read. They've got something wrong with everything in the world. No ability to see God is working and God is using something. Constantly thinking they're defending God. It's not really God they're defending, it's their own way of religion that is clearly exposed as powerless when they come around others that are producing life. And just like the Pharisees, rather than acknowledge it and look to God for the same power, they begin to cut down and try to discredit what God is doing. The healing did not prompt faith in their hearts. The Bible tells us that He leaves there and that He heals all those who believe. The deaf, the dumb, the blind, the maimed, the crippled, the demon-possessed. There is none that Jesus cannot reach. There is nobody that Jesus can't reach. He can heal you and He can heal your heart from years of legalism. He did it for Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Jesus offered them forgiveness, fulfillment, And freedom. Some accepted the offer. Many, many refused. We see the mess. We see the Messiah. And this morning I asked the question, but what about me? What about me? What about you? And what about us? What is the application to me? First of all, I have to understand, we have to understand, you have to understand, the church has to understand. The sinner has to understand. The real problem is sin, period. That's the problem. That's the mess. That's the reason of the mess that we're in. That's the reason of the mess of the world. It is sin. And the answer to sin is Jesus. I have to be willing to ask myself, is there any part of me that's like these Pharisees? I like the Word of God when it lines up with my thoughts and when it does what I want it to do and when it's in my favor, but when it's in my face, I don't like it. Be honest. Is there any level of that in your life? We have to ask ourselves, what's the application to me? Am I taking the message of Jesus in the way I live and in the way I speak, in everything that I do, am I taking the message of Jesus to this world? Am I using my talents, my time, my treasures, my abilities? Am I taking them and using them to further the gospel? And then we need to ask ourselves this morning, is there any of me and the man with the withered hand? Have I been hiding what needs healed? Have I been leaving it in the dark? And if you have, I want to encourage you and I want to plead with you and I want you to know Jesus does still heal And Jesus does still set free. And Jesus does still deliver. But we have to be willing to acknowledge we need healed to start with. We have to be willing to acknowledge there is a withered hand in my life. And it affects the way I think. It affects the way I live. It affects the way I treat people. It affects the way I respond to certain situations. It affects me deeply. And I know how to put it in the pocket And I know how to dress up right and I know how to draw attention to everything else that works right. And I have learned how to live with this. God says, I don't just want you to learn how to live with it. And God says, I do appreciate the fact that you're willing to acknowledge it's not all bad and that there's a lot of good things I've did in your life. But it is time that you stretch forth that hand and let me begin to deal with that and heal that in your life too. What about me? What about you? What about us? Are you saved this morning? As our worship team comes, are you saved? Have you truly ever even started with simply stretching your life out to God and saying, God, I will follow You I'm not going to live my way anymore. I'm not going to do it by what I think is best anymore. I'm going to do it by what you say is best. I'm going to turn from my sins. And I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to place my faith in you. This morning, have you ever done that? If you haven't, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today. Will it be the day of yours? Father, I pray that you move all across this room. God, we thank You that You are the answer to our mess. Hallelujah. We thank You that You came to our mess. God, that You've come into it today. Father, I pray right now that people who for years have never had the courage to stretch out their hand or be willing to stretch it out and begin to look to you for healing of what they believe could never be healed. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray, God, if there be any here this morning who are lost, who have not truly turned from their sins and followed you, placing their faith in you, that today they would be moved, God, by the Spirit of God in their depth of their souls to run no more and to turn no more, but to run to You.